Hello and welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. I am Pastor Daryl, and I hope today's episode is a special blessing to you. If you have your Bibles, we're actually going to be bouncing back and forth uh, between Matthew chapter 19 and Mark chapter 10. So if you want to if you want to follow along, you'll maybe keep a finger in one of those and have the other open. Been preaching through the life of Christ every year at this time, and I follow a specific pattern or a list of the different events in Christ. There's there's roughly 300 different events in Christ's life. But I thought it was interesting that this year, the Sunday before Valentine's Day, we happen upon Christ's discourse on marriage. Seemed very appropriate. So to the title of today's sermon is The Sanctity of Marriage or Why Marriage Matters. We talk about the sanctity of marriage. That word sanctity is an an often used word. I mean, the sacredness of, the value of, the honor of. It's important. There's a growing anti-marriage movement. It started decades ago with the acceptance of divorce. And then from there grew uh, an increased practice of cohabitation, living with someone without actually being married to them. I found it interesting, there was a recent, just this past week, uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal that the, the, the main premise of the article was that they found through research that those who kept from involving themselves in cohabitation if they didn't live with someone until they got married and then lived with their spouse their success of marriage was way above anybody else and that was news that's something i've known for a long time but that was news and now we're, we're getting so far anti-marriage, and now, now there are those who are actively calling for the abolition of marriage. They say it hurts women and it isn't necessary. They use the acts of evil men as an example. Abusers, controllers. Men have abused women, therefore we must abolish marriage. And of course they use that same argument in other areas as well. Men have abused their role as a police officer, therefore we must abolish a police force. 
They say we don't need a family. Society can take care of the children. We don't need fathers. We don't need mothers. We don't need commitment. Those are not important to a society. Of course, there are others, myself included, who disagree. And when I began research for this sermon, or this sermon, I found a plethora of publications, articles, and books, and, and vid- YouTube videos on the value of marriage. One article that stood out to me had, had this to say, The good marriages are the bedrock of strong societies, for they are the foundation of strong families. In marriage are contained the five basic institutions, all the basic tasks of society, family, church, school, marketplace, government. These fundamental tasks, well done, in unity between father and mother make for a very good marriage. Within a family built on such a marriage, the child gradually learns the value and perform these five fundamental tasks of every competent adult and of every functional society. The problem is many don't see the value in that. And we have an epidemic of broken homes. And from there, they do more research, and uh, much to the chagrin of those who would like to believe otherwise, children who grow up in single-family homes have a great deal more difficulty than those who are in healthy two-parent homes with a mother and father. They found children of single-family homes are four times greater risk of poverty they're more likely to have behavioral problems. There's a two times greater risk of infant mortality. They're more likely to go to prison. They're more likely to commit a crime. They're seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen. They're more likely to face abuse and neglect. They're more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. They're two times more likely to suffer obesity. They're two times more likely to drop out of high school. I have a feeling there's a lot more, but that just one study just found these dozen or so items. There's a value to marriage. And what did Jesus have to say about that? Well, let's, let's look at that. We're going to start off with Matthew chapter 19. Beginning with verse 3. Some Pharisees approached him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? At this time, there were two famous divinity and philosophical schools among the Jews. There was a Shammai and the Hillel. On the question of divorce, the school of Shammai maintained that a man could not legally put away his wife except for whoredom. The school of Hillel taught that a man might put away his wife for a multitude of other causes. 
and they wanted to test him. So they, they knew the way they had it figured, no matter what answer he gave, they knew one group would have a problem with it. They thought they had put Jesus in a no-win situation. So what does he have to say about it? Verse 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? Our world is diving headlong into madness. Singer Adele just recently was criticized for simply stating that she was glad she's a woman. I never imagined I would live in a world like that. As Christ followers, we must hold the line as the world around us rejects truth and calls evil good and good evil. That's important. This is important. As Christ's followers, we must hold the line as the world around us rejects truth and calls evil good and good evil. We must not capitulate no matter the cost. We are going to be enticed. We are going to be coerced. Now, we don't seek martyrdom, but we do accept it if it comes our way. And we will not allow cowardice to sway our determination to remain faithful by the grace of God. Let's go to verse 5. And he also said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That word join, the Greek word, is, is uh, literally means glued. And Missy does a lot of woodworking, and I've done some, and I, I've done enough to, to know that when you properly glue two pieces of wood together, that wood is going to break apart and fail before that joint ever fails. It's a very strong, meant-to-be-permanent bond. We're going to get back to that shortly. The man will leave his father and mother and join... This morning I was uh, reading a poem by George Moses Horton. I, it was called the, Bard, the Black Bard of North Carolina, a uh, former slave and uh, just a master with poetry. Uh, and he had a poem called The Lover's Farewell. And the last stanza said, I leave my parents here behind to all my friends to love resign. Tis grief, tis grief to go, but death to stay. Farewell, I've gone with love away. That time in every young person's life where they, they make that decision to leave their family and seek after 
the, the one God has ordained for them together to, to bond with one another, become one flesh, and to live life together until death separates them. Continued in verse 6. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. God has joined this together. Not us. One of the reasons why we think of Mary so lightly is we think that think of God having no part in it. Like we, we go about our lives like everything else and it's no different than buying a car or signing a mortgage. Just some agreement, we, a business arrangement we go into with not thinking at all about the divine involvement in a marriage. And so we think of it too lightly. Man must not separate. The clear implication of the Word of God Oh, hang on, I got ahead of myself. Verse 7, why then they asked him, did, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? They thought they had a good argument. Moses told us to. Verse 8, he told them, Moses permitted you to, not a command, permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your heart. The heart of divorce is a hard heart. One or both parties. They're set in that they want, they want their way. They're not willing to work or compromise or give in any way. And he continued, but it was not like that from the beginning. Now let's go back, uh, let's switch over to uh, Mark, chapter 10, verse 5. But Jesus told them, he wrote this command for you because of the hardness of your hearts, like Matthew said. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. The clear implication of the word of God, the word of truth, is that God made a man to be a male and a woman to be a female. There is no ambiguity in God's word. When a society loses its moral moorings, as has sadly occurred in America, then the word of truth is no longer taken as the standard of truth. Man's truth becomes a standard. What's true for me? And the natural consequence of rejection of the word of God are unavoidable. Anything goes, and we're seeing the results of that anything goes mindset right now in the news every single day. 
there's something new showing the the sick, twisted reality of anything goes. The heartbreak, the hurt, the harm that takes place. Verse 7. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. For this reason is a a term of conclusion. This phrase is related to the word therefore. When you you see it, you think, why is it there? And, And so, for this reason, it should always prompt the question, should always beg the question, for what reason? In this case, Jesus is explaining the marriage of a, of a man and a woman. This re, the, the reason is the marriage. A man shall leave his father and mother. Note, leave his parents, but not leave his wife. Leaving is a strong verb, meaning leave behind or depart from. Now clearly this does not mean that he would never see his parents again, but that he functions independent of them. Someone once said that many a marriage has floundered because of the young husband or wife not willing to accept the responsibility of independence from the parental home. I've seen that firsthand. The parents continuing to have control on on the husband or on the wife and continuing to negatively impact and influence and, and, and causing conflict and struggles inside the home that would otherwise not be there at all if they had cut the apron strings. Verse 8, and the two shall become one flesh. Most intimate and permanent relationship on earth. I was watching a, a, a video of Jordan Peterson on why marriage is important. Uh, and he talked about uh, men and women deciding to get married and, and both of them admitting, I know you're just as messed up as I am, but I'm going to commit to you for life. And he said the reason that's important is because there are things that you you learn in that environment that you can't learn any other way because you have to be honest with that other person. You can't, like we go out in the world, we put on a facade and we ignore the deepest, darkest challenges in our hearts. The sin in our hearts, we can easily ignore that except when you're married to someone. Continuing on verse 8, So there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate.
Now verse 10, Now in the house the disciples questioned him again about this matter. Mark doesn't mention it, but Matthew does. So let's quickly flip over there. Chapter 19, verse 10. The disciples said to him, If the relationship of a man with his wife is like this, it's better not to marry. If I'm stuck with her, that's what they're saying, right? If I'm stuck with her, it's better to remain a bachelor. Let's go back over to Mark again. I know we're bouncing back and forth, but there's a method to this madness. Verse 11, And he said to them, Whoever divorces a wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Also, if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And then back over to Matthew 19.11, where we'll stay. Verse 11, uh, but he told them, not everyone can accept this saying, but only those it has been given to, for there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb. There are eunuchs who are made by men. There are eunuchs who have made themselves that way because of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Not everyone can or should take on the responsibility that comes with a marriage commitment. I do a lot of reading. There are a lot of men in history, and I'm sure women too, but from my reading, I notice the men, who did wonderful things for God's kingdom and society, but probably should not have gotten married because they did their wife and their kids no services, no favors, no, not a blessing to them. I think of Daniel Boone, Benjamin Franklin. There was one missionary whose name escapes me, did wonderful things for God, but he was always gone for years. So see, you said not just said not everyone can handle this. Some are, are are better off remaining celibate. And that's why a person should carefully consider the situation and spend time seeking the Lord's guidance and fasting and prayer before entering into such a commitment. Listen carefully. Missy and I watched some young people destroy their lives because they did not listen. They did not follow the Lord. One young woman uh, prayed and felt like she should not marry the man she was involved, the young man she was involved with. And, and, and so she brought it to, she told him, I said, I feel like God has told me that we should not get married. And his response was, well, that's not what God told me. Now she wanted to hear that. And so she went ahead and married him, and it did not go well. Another young man got involved with a girl, and, and everybody told him 
do not marry this girl. His pastor told him that. Her pastor told him that. Her grandfather told him to not marry her. And he didn't listen. And he married her, and it did not go well. It's a very serious thing. And it should not be taken lightly. But God will guide you. I believe that. If, if you go to God with an open and honest heart, the Lord will guide you. Now all this on the importance of being married and staying married. We live in, in a world of sin and there's a messiness to it that we can't ignore. And so I thought I would hit upon a few situations that I have personally come across. Because maybe, maybe someone listening to this podcast is wondering about this. What if a spouse is an abuser? What if he or she is, is controlling, controls, if, if, if someone, if your husband or wife is, is physically abusing you, hitting you, um, choking you, just being violent and, 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 and using manipulation techniques to do what's called gaslighting. Make you, make you wonder about your own sanity. Make you think you're crazy. That you're just imagining stuff. Maybe he does bad stuff to you and, and, and apologizes for, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. I was wrong and he's sweet for a while. And then the cycle continues. Maybe he's controlling. Maybe he doesn't let you keep a telephone or controls all the money. You have no access to funds and he controls uh, where you go, keeps you in the house or on the property or, or uh, watches you very closely anytime you leave his side. It's a dangerous situation and you need to get out. And there's a number of wonderful uh, ministries out there that will help uh, battered women or battered men find a safe place to, to, and for their children too. To get away from that dangerous situation. Another situation I've come across are people who have been Divorced and remarried even multiple times. And, and what do we do then? They get saved and they're like, okay, I have two or three other husbands or wives. The Bible is, does not give us a prescription for that scenario. And at those times we need to carefully seek the Lord's will.
And each situation, I believe, is, is, is a unique situation that God needs to deal with and God needs to lead. And then there are some situations that are so messy, we find that we can't actually do as God intended, as the Bible says. What do we do then? We do our best. And one young one man who, who I wonder was was trying to to serve the Lord and do what's right, and and one of those things was he, he's reading the Bible and he's reading all the responsibilities he had as a as has as a father. So he wants to be a good father, wants to fulfill those responsibilities as laid out in God's word. Here's the problem. He has three different kids by three different women in three different states. It is physically impossible for him to fulfill all the requirements laid out in Scripture. What does he do? He just does his best. That's all God expects of us. When I was 13 years old, I had an extremely vivid dream. I dreamed I was on top of a big hill with an older black woman who now kind of reminds me of Doc Yancey. An older black woman, and 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 there was a girl there, and I was taken by her, and the black lady laughed and said, "In five years." I didn't think much of it. I thought, "Well, that's interesting." I've never had a dream as vivid and memorable as that. Five years later, I was working security at God's Bible School. And I was sitting on the steps of the, the music, uh, music hall and uh, in the music building, and this girl walks by with her friend. And she was cute. And I wondered if, if she would be interested in dating me. I didn't really interact with her again for actually a few more months uh, when I needed a, a textbook. She actually worked at the school bookstore. And so I got to know her there. And then the very next semester, we ended up having, I think, every single class together. And I asked her out, we began dating. Now what's interesting about that dream is five years after I had that dream, I met this girl and I happened to be on top of a hill. Because God's Bible school is built on Mount Auburn, one of the seven hills of Cincinnati. 
So Missy and I dated and 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 after a few months I I knew that I loved her. She wasn't so sure. She was actually trying to be careful because she took marriage seriously. And so it'd be another year and a half before she would uh, she would reciprocate that love. But like Jacob, it was but about a few days for me. When we got married. Two and a half years after we started dating. We had our arrangement. I traditional family arrangement. I went to work, Missy stayed at home and raised the children and took care of the home. And a lot of people would have a grievance about that. But that's what both of us wanted and that worked for us. 25 years later, I have to, looking back, I have to say that God's plan worked out very well for us. But what about this dream? Hey, God still uses dreams. I know that. Islam is full of stories of God reaching people uh, for Christ through dreams. In fact, the recent book I read, uh, Seeking Allah, Finding Christ, uh, was one of those examples. And it's a great story. You should read it if you haven't done that already. But was my dream ordained by God to reveal a future event or, like Ebenezer Scrooge, was the cause nothing more than undigested piece of cheese? Well, to look only at that single event and claim prophecy would be inductive reasoning and would be a weak argument. But... As I look over the past three decades, I clearly see God's hand of providence coordinating uh, events in my life for a specific purpose. And part of that plan was to one day stand in front of Missy and say, I, Daryl, Take you, Melissa. To be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, to love and to cherish till death do us part according to God's holy ordinance. And thereto I pledge my faith. And part of God's plan was that we would live out our vows over the past quarter century through all the challenges and disappointments that we faced. We live it out. We work it out. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans for your will, 
I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that again. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for you. And if you're married, the sacred bond you hold with your spouse is part of that plan. You may want to give up. It won't make it better. It won't make life better. The grass may look greener, but it's not. I urge you to surrender, forgive, heal, and love. And let God show you the blessings He has in store for you. Let us stand. Well, that's all for today. We certainly hope it was a blessing to you. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can go to servantsheartchapel.org. Have a wonderful day.